We're in the middle of this series called Faithful in Every Season, and I know that all of us are part of families, and we all uh, have seasons in which we go through, and and there's times where there's challenges in that and uh, struggles, and I hope that over these four weeks you're going to be encouraged or maybe even challenged to, to trust God. We need God in our family life. It's so important. And I, so I know that most of you know my family, but I did bring a picture just to prove that I am part of a family too and have a family. Uh, I have, Giselle is my wife, and we have four children. Our oldest actually graduated from college uh, in the spring, and I have two that are in college, and our youngest is a junior in high school. I'm the guy in the middle with a tinge of gray. You know, My kids give me a hard time about that all the time. I just tell them it's, it's a little bit like my credit card status. I'm upgrading to platinum, you know? Soon it'll be platinum elite, I'm afraid. Anyway, I'm right in the middle of midlife. I mean, we both are gonna be celebrating our 50th year. Just a little secret for you, okay? It's actually, yeah, it's, it's my wife's birthday next Saturday. It's a big one. And I'm much younger. You can remind her of that. No, I'm, I will, actually. No, I, my birthday's in March, and so we are, we are right in the middle of this thing we call midlife. I read somewhere that midlife is that moment you realize your children and your clothes are about the same age. I also read that, you know, it, and it's true, I think, that you've officially hit midlife when you finally start feeling like you have your life together a little bit, but your body starts falling apart. And some of you understand what I mean by that. Uh, The infamous Bob Hope said this, you know you've reached middle age when your weightlifting consists merely of standing up. (laughs) And and I think there's truth in that. There's so much truth. Well, this morning I want to read from 1 Corinthians because I think in midlife, in this season of life that I'm in, uh, there is this sort of tension between freedom and responsibility, if you will. And and I want to kind of touch on that a little bit today, that we have this in, immense freedom, uh, but yet we are called, I think, by, by God to, to have responsibility in our, in our season of life as, as family members. So I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 10 uh, starting at verse 23. Paul's actually talking about Christian freedom, and the re- he's talking about it in the context of food sacrificed to idols. But he lays out some principles that I think are important for us. So let me read uh, from there. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who has told you for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So this is, this is one, this next verse, I want you to hear this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you had your Bibles open, I'd have you circle that verse, okay? 
Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So here Paul is talking about freedom and restraint, if you will. And he lays out these, I think, important things, these sort of boundaries. He says the first thing is this, whatever you do, do things for the glory of God. In other words, align your life in a way that would bring honor and glory to God. Then the other thing he says is this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. In other words, seek to serve other people. Now, in some ways, I think he's being, he's put these sort of anchor points out there. He says, look, align your life to bring glory to God, first and foremost, and think about serving. How are you going to serve those around you? And whenever you're out of line with those two things, you're probably out of line with God's will or purpose or his desire for you. So it becomes a guide for us. I think this is so true. It's so good. It's, it's really what Jesus said, right? When, when somebody approached him and said, what's, what's the most important lie? He said, love God. And then the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Bring glory to God. Seek to serve others. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I become my best self, I'm convinced, when I'm living for something beyond myself, I'm living for the glory of God. I'm living for the other. And so in that context, it doesn't matter what phase of life you find yourself in. Am I finding myself that I'm aligning with God and his glory and seeking to serve others? And so for those of us who are maybe in midlife, I have this question for you. Are you? Are you becoming more and more aware that the best gift you might be able to give your family, really any whatever phase of life you're in, the best gift you can give your family is a vibrant relationship with God. That you can be your best self when you're living beyond yourself. That you're living for something greater, for God's glory and to serve others. So I want to kind of give you some reasons why I think that's super important, especially for those of us like me who have that tinge of gray. Let me give you some reasons. The first one is this. I'm convinced that the freedom and privilege that comes with midlife can often distract or derail us. Paul says this. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. I want to read a story from the Old Testament that sort of illustrates this this point. It's about a person who's in midlife. It's found in the book of 2 Samuel. You've probably heard the story. It's about David and his encounter with Bathsheba. Lots has been written about it. And unfortunately, this episode seems to define David's life. But I want to read just a few things from there and give it some context. First of all, you've got to remember uh, what's been happening. David is now ascended to be king of Israel. And he's in the palace. I mean, he's achieved so much. He became really famous as a young man. He, He defeated Goliath. And then he went out and he led God's armies. I mean, he defeated the enemies of Israel, the Philistines and others. He became 
uh, a great hero. And he's conquered and he's done all of these things and finally he's achieved something and he's now sitting in the palace. King of Israel. And this is what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonite, Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Again, if you had your Bibles open, I'd have you circle the word remained. He stayed in the palace. It's almost as if, you know, yeah, he, he, he was thinking this way. I don't know, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but this is what I imagine. He's going, you know what? I've, I've done all that. I've fought those fights. You know, I'm the king. I deserve a break. I deserve just some time to myself. I, I just want to stay back and be here. I've been there and done that. Why should I go do that? That's a young man's game. And yet it's interesting, the writer says, when kings go off to war, David stayed back. He handed it off. And you know what happened, right? It seems to me that some of us, when we get to a certain point in life, you know, it's like we've been there, we've, we've conquered some things, we've maybe accomplished a few things in our life, and our career, and then the temptation, I'm, I'm convinced, is this, that, oh, you know what? That's for someone else to do. You know, I deserve to do this. And in creeps this sort of mentality of of entitlement, if you will. I think that's what's happening. And we see what happens. And so the very next verse in that chapter says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful. He got distracted. We know what happens, right? He has an, this encounter. But then he goes head first into this sort of covering up this whole thing. And he tries to convince Uriah to come back and sleep with his wife. This is the husband of Bathsheba who's out fighting for David. But he refuses to go and because he, he wants to stay with his men. And eventually, David has Uriah killed on the front lines. But guess what? It's not the end of the story, is it? Thank goodness, David had a person in his life named Nathan. And Nathan comes to David, and he confronts him. He says, David, he tells a story, and David's enraged. And then Nathan says to him, you are that man. And David repents. Now the consequences of his actions, he couldn't undo. But he changed his heart before God. And we read about it in Psalm 34 and Psalm 32 and and Psalm 51, all these, these different verses. He's pouring himself out. He knows he's done wrong. Now let me just speak to some of you guys out there because I'm a guy, okay? I know how hard it is for us sometimes to have deep and abiding friendships. I don't know what it is about us guys, but it is tough. But let me say something. We need Nathans in our life. 
We need people who will speak truth to us, who will listen to us, who will say to things like, you know what, you're wrong. You're not thinking about this in the right kind of way. We need, we cannot live this Christian life alone. We need others to help us keep focused. That's why I'm saying to you, it is so important that you tend to your relationship with God because it's so easy to be derailed. We want to live, I think our best self is living for something more than us. It's to be aligned with giving glory to God and seeking to be a servant to others. David, in that moment, gave way to his own selfish desires. I had somebody say to me, I was teaching in Grundy, you know you didn't do much for Harley sales. I said, yeah. Is that what it's all about? No. There's something more. I think that God wants from us and for us than just our own pleasure and desires. Here's another reason why I think it's so important that we tend to this relationship to God. It's because our spouses and others need a a surrendered self, not a self-centered snob. A surrendered self, not a self-centered snob. Now, you know, snob without the N is spelled S-O-B. And our spouses don't need that. They don't. But it's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up. You know, here we are. We're so busy with, with life, with stuff, with kids. We're chasing after things. And maybe we're chasing after our careers. And we've been there and we're working really hard. And suddenly we wake up and we go, who is this person next to me? I don't even know if I even know them. Wow. What's happened? You know, a few years ago, um, my wife and I, we, with our older children in particular, you know, we were chasing them. We were going to all of their activities, and suddenly we realized that our social life was about just going to games and events. Been there, done that? We started developing sort of friendships with those around us, and we called them our bleacher friends. And it was, it was great. It was actually, we, it was a great way to meet people and we had our own little community life. But it was very interesting to me that the kind of the couples that we were connecting with, they were all one step further down in their, their family life. Like their youngest kids were the age of our oldest kids. And so we were sort of observing what they were experiencing as their kids were going off to college, even some getting married and all of these things. And It was just fascinating. Well, over time, all of these couples, each one of them, confided either in myself or Giselle of just their own struggle. Like, wow. I'm not sure I even know this person. I'm not sure I even like this person. And so we we kind of started listening to that and, and hearing that. And so what we... What we found out is that really we knew all of these couples. They didn't know each other. And so we went to them and said, hey, we know these couples over here. We think you'd like them. Would you all come to our house? We'd love to get to know you all. And so we invited them in. 
And we had a great time together. I mean, and they really did like each other. And it was fun. And then finally at the end of a couple times doing that, just socially, I said, hey, would you all be open to talking about the, what the Bible has to say about marriage? And uh, they were like, yeah, sure. I know some of you don't go to church, but some of us do. That's okay, but we're just going to talk, and we're going to ask questions. It was amazing. Just over time, how they had to have hard conversation about life, about all these different things. So I'm convinced some of us, some of us may need to to reacquaint ourselves with our spouse. You remember, if we're going to be our best self, are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for others? Are we going to seek to serve our spouse? In order to serve them, maybe we need to be quiet and listen to them. Maybe we need to hear from them again some hard words. Maybe we need to be ready to receive some challenges. Or maybe we need to talk about our own hopes and our dreams and remind ourselves of why we really like each other, why we did this thing. Our spouses need a surrendered self, one that's willing to live for something greater than me. Here's another thing, I think, in the middle of this midlife, I think our kids need a mentor and a model, not an overbearing meddler or unengaged mannequin. We just leave those images out there. You know, it is interesting. You know, when your kids are young, they need you for everything, right? I mean, you feed them, you clean them, you clothe them, you put them to bed. I mean, it's like this constant. They get a little bit older. They can't go anywhere without you. You you are the one who is doing it for them, and you are taking them to every event. You're taking them to lessons. You're taking them to friends. I mean, it's, it's you are engaged, and you are in control in some ways. And then they start growing up. And in some ways, you know, they're starting to exercise their independence. And that's really the goal, right? We're trying to get them ready to be lifelong citizens and hopefully uh, lovers of God and all of these good things, but to live independent lives. And so what I'm learning in this phase of life as my kids are sort of transitioning from the house out into the world, I'm, I'm learning that they really don't need for me to be their problem solver for everything. They really don't need for me to to be the one sort of doing stuff for them. But they also don't need for me to be this passive one who's there physically but totally unattached emotionally. A mannequin. You all know what I mean, right? They need something more than that. They need someone who's willing to listen to them willing to hear them, willing to model something different for them, to help them, to encourage them. Paul says it this way. This is to the body of believers, this this family of, of followers of Christ in Corinth. He says, follow my example 
as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, what he's saying is that follow me as much as I follow Jesus. And as I follow Jesus, I hope that's what you will imitate in me. And I think about that for my own kids. Wow, what a powerful thing to model something beautiful, to model this life of faith. They need me to live for something greater than myself. For God's glory. To serve them. To serve others. To see me serve my wife. Our kids need a mentor and a model. Not a meddler or a mannequin. Here's the last thing I want to share this morning. I'm convinced our world needs the re-engaged, restored, and revitalized midlifer to follow God's calling or initiative in their life. I want to read another story. It's from Exodus. It's about another midlifer. His name is Moses. Remember Moses' story? Moses actually was rescued by his parents from Pharaoh who wanted to kill all of the Hebrew boy babies and put in a basket. And then he was found by Pharaoh's daughter in the Nile. And then he, he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. Amazing. He grew up in a place of privilege and power and all of these things. And yet he was actually nursed by his mother and so he learned about his own heritage, who he really was. And so as a young man, he determined that by golly, I'm going to rescue my people. And so he took it on. And what happened? He ends up killing an Egyptian. And then he becomes an enemy of the state. The Pharaoh hears about this and he chases and wants to get Moses. And so he runs away. And for 40 years, he's on the backside of a mountain tending sheep, running away from his past tending sheep, and this is what happens. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He has this unbelievable encounter with God, this God of his youth. He said, Moses, I haven't forgotten you. I have a plan for you. But we're going to do it my way. I want you to lead my people. You know, some of us, I think, need to have that encounter again with the God of our youth. 
You know, it's amazing to me, the older I get, the more life sort of smacks me in the face. I just reminded again, I had a friend that died of cancer. Life is hard sometimes. Just this last week. It's hard. Life has been hard for some of you. You've experienced brokenness. Especially if you've lived into midlife, you know that life is sometimes challenging. You've, been, you've had heartache and brokenness and all these things. You know what I want to say to you is this. God has not forgotten you. God is still inviting you. Come. But here's the deal. <laughs> I think like Moses... God says, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. For me, the sandals sort of represent all the grit and the grime of life. And those little pebbles that have been embedded in the sole of the sandals really represent those things that separate us. Separate us from God and his, his glory, if you will, and his goodness and his grace. Maybe some of you need to take off your sandals. And you need to hear again. I am with you. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and I'm inviting you in. We need you. We need you 40, 50, 60, whatever age you are. We need you because of your experience. We need you because of your wisdom. We need you because, I, I love this phrase by Henry Nouwen, you are the wounded healers that God wants to use to bless a broken world. And there's lots of us, but we've been sidelined for too long. Maybe it's time to reacquaint yourself with this God of your youth and remind yourself, yes, it's him I want to live for. So what is it? What next step do you need to take to either reacquaint yourself with your kids or, or your spouse or even your God? I know God has a plan for you and he's inviting. He's saying, come, come follow me. Let's go on this adventure together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the promises that you give us, for the hope that you provide. Lord, I think about all the families and people represented here and just their stories and this journey of faith that you have them on. Lord, I would pray that you would come with power, with just a still, small voice and say, come. And we would reacquaint ourselves with you and we would seek to your glory. We would seek to be servants of those around us. Lord, to live this life of faith. Lord, forgive us when we fall short, but help us to have courage to get up and to trust you again. Lord, I pray that in your precious name. And all God's people say, 
Amen.